If, um, if we were to read only the gospel according to Luke, uh, it would be easy to assume that Jesus was carried up to heaven, as Luke 24, 51 says, immediately after rising from the dead, or certainly within a day, because that's how the gospel according to Luke ends. It ends with no gaps. He rises from the dead, He is on the road to Emmaus. He meets the disciples a little bit later after his encounter with probably a husband and wife on the road to Emmaus. And then Luke tells us that he was taken up as he walked to Bethany with them. Thankfully, Luke wrote a second volume, which I've shared with you, and that's known as the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we're told as he unfolds his reasoning again as to why he's writing to his friend Theophilus that um, Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs. See, this is Luke's language, wanting to prove things. He wants us to have that certainty. And he appeared to them, to the disciples, 40 days. And what did he do? He spoke about the kingdom of God. So, we have to read Acts 1 with Luke's, Luke 24 to realize that Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father did not immediately occur or within a day after his resurrection. There was about six weeks in between, which is why Ascension Sunday is six weeks from now. Today is known on the church calendar as the second Sunday of Easter. And how glad I am for the church calendar because Easter is the day Sunday go to meet and dress and you take your lilies home, and Easter's over, and then you go back to business. Well, no. For centuries, millennia even, the church has recognized that Easter is an extended season, and so there are a number of weeks of Easter. This is the second week of Easter to keep us focused on the resurrection for at least six weeks until Jesus appears, uh, ascends to the right hand of the Father a doctrine we don't talk an awful lot about, but I have over the past few years been trying to take some extra time after the celebration of the resurrection to talk about what it is that Jesus is doing all day now that he's at the right hand of the Father, because you do know that he is alive. Well, what is he doing? Other than these details, we know next to nothing about what Jesus did and said during the six weeks between his resurrection and his ascension. It's like the silent years of Jesus, right? We see his birth, and then we find him again when he's 12. There's all kinds of theories about what was going on in those 12 years. We don't know a lot about what he did between resurrection and ascension, but we do know that there were six weeks, and we do know that what it was he was doing was proclaiming the kingdom of God. You cannot teach Jesus, you cannot know Jesus, and separate him from the kingdom. It's one and the same He is the king, and he oversees a realm of which we are a part. Key places throughout the New Testament, we see him being described as teaching about the kingdom of God. Thanks to Luke's, this is really compact storytelling here, and thanks to that compact storytelling, he's going to get a lot in. That's why I like Luke, you know, sort of like me and my preaching. I get a lot in, little spaces here. Thanks to Luke's compact storytelling, we do know four further certainties about Jesus due to his resurrection. So in just just a few minutes here, just a couple of minutes in each of these points, I want you, it might be helpful for you to write them down. There are four further certainties of which we know about Jesus due to his resurrection. 
Uh, and Luke tells us this in just this little passage that John just wrote, read for us. Luke 24, 44 to 53, the end of his gospel before he segues to tell the story of the birth of the New Testament church and how they go forward. There are four further certainties that we know because he has risen from the dead. And I want to walk you through them one at a, one at a time because it, it ends rather, rather nicely. And you'll see what I mean in just, just a moment. Certainty number one is this, that Jesus is fulfilling God's plan. This is not something new and tricky. I tell you that all the time. I do not tell you anything new. I am a repeater. I am called to repeat what it is that God has given to us in his word. Certainty number one is that Jesus is fulfilling God's plan. Where in Luke 24, this is found in verses 44 to 46. Then he said to them, Jesus, to the, to the disciples, there, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is divided, Hebrew scriptures divided into three parts, and you know that, law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and that these must be fulfilled. So he's, he's risen from the dead. He's speaking after the fact. He said, basically said, I told you this while I was with you, and now here I am, three days after the fact, like I told you. I was going to be, I was going to be crucified. I was going to die, be dead three days, and from after that, I was going to rise from the dead. And he proved that to them out of the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, and he said to them that thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. I want you to notice the pattern, the compact pattern. Jesus puts the big idea out there. That which I told you is now fulfilled in the Old Testament. That's what verse 44 is. That's kind of like his theme statement. These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, everything written about me, wouldn't you love to have been with Jesus in those teaching times? And now he's in the law of Moses. And he's saying, see, see what's in the law of Moses? That's a reference to me. See what's in the Psalms right here in the wisdom literature? That's in reference to me. See the prophets, this one who's spoken of is one who's going to come standing in front of you right now. But then he understands that we don't understand. And so then what happens? We'll look at verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Let's, let's get that out here right now. You and I will not understand the scriptures unless Jesus himself and his spirit awakens us to see what's there and to understand it. The Bible is taught in many secular universities as literature. There are men and women and boys and girls around the world who have read the Bible from cover to cover because it was assigned to them by some English professor in their junior year of college somewhere, and it has done nothing for them. In fact, if it's done anything, it's hardened their atheism. Who can believe in a God like that? And it's true of each and every one of us in this room. If you think you can take this book and read it, you probably can. But it's not like a John Grisham novel. It requires an illuminating work of the Spirit of God for you to understand what it's about. They did not understand. Over and over and over again, you've heard. But they did not understand. But they did not understand. Their minds were kept from understanding. Their eyes were closed until, until what? Until Luke 24, 45, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you understand what's going on here right now? What is going on right here right now is miraculous. That through 
this and all of my vulnerabilities and frailties, God, the Holy Spirit, is taking what I'm saying, dedicated to his word, and sending it out into your hearts in a way that will transform you because of what he's done. It's stunning. When you have that kind of mentality with regard to preaching, you quake every time you get in a pulpit. And I prayed for that from the time I began to sense that this might be something God wanted me to do. Don't ever let me become so comfortable in any pulpit that I think I can do it by myself. Strike me dead. If I dare put my words out to you, rather than keeping my finger on the text and saying, prove me. You've heard me say it since I walked into this building. If you can't find what I'm teaching you in the word of God, tell somebody, tell an elder, tell me. Because I will fail you. He will not. And so I want your faith built on him, not me. I'm not the guy with all of the answers. I'm the guy who points you to the one with all of the answers. So here's his theme. And then he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And it's, ooh, la, la, what have we here? It's the work of the Holy Ghost. So when you come to your Bible in your morning devotionals, you may be yawning, you may be spilling your coffee all over the place, but you also better be at least whispering, oh, Lord of my life, show me yourself in this text. And then he illustrates it. He said to them, for thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So, mini-sermon, theme, here's how you're going to understand it, here's an illustration of it. That part of what he showed them out of the Old Testament was that the Christ would suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. I've got to think he was in Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant. We read that last week. Can you imagine? Jesus, oh, yes, yeah, so here's the scroll of Isaiah. Mm. Oh, read that part, read that part. Yeah, he's sitting with you right here. That, that watch, watch. In a couple of more days, we're going to Jerusalem. This is going to happen. The New Testament is the Old Testament fulfilled. The New Testament reveals to us that Jesus was right and describes Jesus as greater than Abraham, as greater than Moses, as greater than Solomon, as greater than Jonah. So there, there's your law, writings, and prophets. And Jesus, described in the New Testament as not only fulfilling those texts, but he's the greater one. He's the fulfiller of the promise to Abraham. He's the greater Moses. Why? Because he's led his people into a greater exodus. He's wiser than Solomon, and he's greater than Jonah, whose burial in the belly of the whale was a of the one greater than Jonah who would be buried in the belly of a grave only to rise from the dead. Here's the amazing thing. God's unfolding plan of redemption includes us. Certainty number one is that Jesus is fulfilling God's plan and he's doing it right now in your life, in our life, pandemic and all did not take God 
by surprise, designed by God mysteriously to do a work in his church which we may never fully comprehend until glory. Certainty number two is that Jesus is preached among the nations. These two things obviously go together. Certainty number two, Jesus is preached among the nations. Look at verses 47, 48, and 49 with me. Luke, as I've already said, tells us in Acts 1-3 that Jesus was among his followers for 40 days of his earthly mission. During that time, he spoke about the kingdom of God. So when you talk about missions, you talk about the kingdom of God. Luke 24, 47 now tells us that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So you put those things together. He was teaching them and preaching them about the kingdom of God. And now he's telling us that part of that proclamation is that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. It's one of the things I continually try to teach you from this pulpit, is that yes, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which Paul says, I am the worst. But we go off the trail a little bit when we say that the entire message of the Bible is getting people saved and getting them to heaven. It's more robust than that. That's a subset of the kingdom teaching. This is not a small point, because many of us, myself included, were raised by getting people to pray the sinner's prayer. And then once you did that, you had succeeded in, in proclaiming the gospel. That's only a part of what the gospel message is entirely about. Because if your call to repentance to your neighbor and your loved ones and your co-workers is not somehow fitted together with the topic of the kingdom, then we've missed it. And that's part of the reason why, in my opinion, so many churches are so anemic. Because all we do all day is stand around telling people to repent. And then once they repent, we say, whew, he prayed the sinner's prayer, and then on we go to the next one. How does that relate to the coming of the kingdom? The message that was Jesus, it, it, it's the single, single most popular topic on Jesus' lips, the kingdom. Mark 1.14 opens Jesus' ministry, quoting Jesus, the time is fulfilled, the time is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. So Mark opens Jesus' ministry, Luke closes Jesus' ministry, and the bookends are the kingdom of God. People are commanded to repent and believe in the gospel because the king calls you into his kingdom. Ask yourself that question. Get saved. Get saved from what? We can answer that question. Here's the question that we struggle with. Get saved to what? We need to, we need to deal with that as a church. Saved from sin and death. You, you, you hear, I wear you out with that kind of language. It's all over Romans. But you're saved from something, but you also hear me at least try to wear you out on this in a positive way. Saved from to something. It's that saved to something with which we struggle. Because now we talk about commitment and the things that are entailed in being made part of a body. 
I just want to, I, I just want to be saved. I just want my, my one-way ticket my, on the one-way road to heaven. I'm done. I'm good. Responsibilities, life together in Bonhoeffer's words. I got some other things going on. God is, I was just blown away by the most wonderful details. The proclamation is in the name of Jesus. Just just take each, each little phrase together with me. Proclaim in his name, not in my name. Oh, I love that church. That's Pastor Mark's church. He's a wonderful this. He's a stinky that. If you say Pastor Mark, positively or negatively, more than you say Jesus, you've got a, you've got a problem. I'm okay if you say the Church of Jesus Christ called New York Baptist Church that Pastor Mark pastors. I'm okay with that. But don't call it Pastor Mark's church. Because it isn't. So your proclamation is in the name of Jesus. Where? It's to all the nations. To all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem. Keep, keep reading it with me. Verse 48, you're witnesses. Now, you're not witnesses like they were. They're standing with him for heaven's sakes. But you are witnesses of something that God has done in your life. And what Jesus is saying is that if you've seen, testify. Anthony Barone is keen on the power of a testimony. He loves working with new members to develop their testimony. Testimonies is something that we all have and we all can share. Well, I don't know the Romans road way to tell somebody. I don't know the four spiritual laws. I don't know my Bible well enough to lead somebody to Christ. And we all, no, but you have a story because you were once dead, but now you're alive. You were once in darkness, but now you're in light. Tell somebody how that happened. And you'll be surprised what God will do with your going, blah, 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 blah. Because that's all I'm doing right now. This is babbling in one sense. I, I'm not winning you by eloquence. I'm in utter dependence upon the power of the Spirit of God taking whatever it is that I'm saying to penetrate your heart and mind to see Jesus more clearly. You're witnesses of these things. Be witnesses. I'm sending you the promise of my Father. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what Acts 1.8 says, he fills it in for us here, where, which he leaves blank in Luke 24. So you don't go in your own strength. You go in the power of the Spirit. Do you understand? Do we understand the privileged position? Understand this, the hinge of history that's going on here. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's now talking to his disciples. I'm going to send you the Spirit of God. This is the first time the Spirit of God has been pointed, point, poured out like that. This is the Pentecost experience. You and I are on the other side of that, brothers and sisters. Come on now, come with me now. You're on the other side of that. You have received the promise of the Holy Spirit sent to you. You've got the power to witness. And that uneasiness that I feel and that you feel is everything in the world, flesh, and devil pressing back down on you to say, no, 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 you're not eloquent enough. No, 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 you don't have a spectacular testimony. No, 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 you're going to fumble and bumble your way all the way through that. And that's when you just whisper and say, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm coming at you. The Spirit of the living God dwells within me. I can share my story. You're witnesses of these things. And we've got the Spirit of God. God's proclamation to all of the nations includes us. 
Staten Island is a nation unto itself. <laughs> you, don't, you don't tell people in Staten Island what to do. We're from Staten Island. End of story. At least I'm learning these things. Certainty number two is that Jesus has preached among the nations. He's been preached here. We're witnesses to these things. We get to continue to preach it. Here's certainty number three. Jesus is reigning from heaven. Certainty number three, Jesus is reigning from heaven, verses 15 and 51. Then he led them up as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. I love this. Allow in your mind's eye. Can you see it? You can, you can feel the heat. You, you, can, you can feel the sweat on your body. You can see the dust on your feet and your sandals and your toga. And you walk, you're walking down the street. Jesus is walking with you. And all the way, walking to Bethany, you're tired, you're hungry, you want something to drink. And all the while, he's blessing you. You're walking with Jesus. Jesus, the risen one, you can still see his stigmata. You can still see the, the, the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. And he's leading them out as far as Bethany. He lifts up his hands and he blesses them. I would have been absolutely undone. Here's the risen one raising his hands over you and says, bless you, my child. And while he was blessing them, get ready, get ready, because you're going to be ridiculed, and they're going to have a really good laugh at this idea. And some of the cartoons that have been drawn over this are sacrilegious. But while he's blessing them, hands in the air, he levitates, surrounded by a cloud, and he's taken up bodily, into heaven. I say bodily because we, we die on that hill. No, no bad pun intended. We die on the, the, the ascended Jesus being bodily ascended. He was raised physically. He ascended physically. You're talking profound mystery here. Where did he go? How did it happen? We don't know. It's an article of faith. But what we do hold on to is that it was done bodily and that Jesus' existence now remains bodily. This is, you gotta be very careful here because otherwise you slide out into heresy if you say he went up into the cloud and then he went back to his pre-existent state. You lose the doctrine of Jesus Christ if he reverts back to that. And so I'm, in, I'm stepping up my passion here a little bit to make sure that I, as an elder, as a leader here, guard the gate here against pure doctrine. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and today exists bodily and will return bodily. This is not a ghost this is not a phantom. This is not a figment of anybody's imagination. It's an article of orthodox Christianity that you and I must be prepared to die for. At his birth, what theologians call his humiliation, God becoming man, God becoming man, the state of humiliation is what it's referred to as Jesus came from the Father's side in heaven and take on human flesh. We're wrapped in mystery here. Jesus is an eternal being, pre-existent before he became flesh. That too we have to claim. John 6.38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now Jesus in his state of exaltation, the, the ascension and exaltation, 40 days after his resurrection, he returns and one day will return. 
And now he reigns from heaven. And I need to read these verses for you. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Give your undivided attention, please. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, this is the Father, that he worked in Christ, Ephesians 1.20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, the Father's, right hand, where? In the heavenly places. So tell me more about this, Paul. 21, far above. This is Jesus Christ, whom you love and worship and adore right now. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put, he, the Father did all things under his, Jesus' feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells, who fills all in all. That's our reigning Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 24. This is the answer to the little boy in Sunday school who asked his teacher, what is Jesus doing all day? Hebrews 9, 24. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, speaking about the old tabernacle, temple, but Jesus Christ has entered into heaven itself. Why? Hebrews 9.24, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. On our behalf. Step back, deep breath with me right now. Jesus in his present session, his exalted state, he's at the right hand of the Father, has authority over all things, and what is he doing all day long? He's praying for you. Romans 8.34 will also tell us that he will intercede. Who can bring condemnation to you? Who can bring condemnation when the one who's been raised from the dead is now interceding for us? You having a bad day? Bad week? Month? Year? Allow the Spirit of God to transport you, if you please, to the vision of the risen Savior who is pleading with the Father, not that the Father's arms need to be twisted, but he's pleading with the Father based on his finished, Jesus' finished work on your behalf that you would not be led into temptation, but that you would be delivered from evil. And that when you did fall in temptation, that the finished work of Jesus Christ was sufficient to cover you and, re and restore you and bring you back up. This is what Jesus is doing all day in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I got nothing that's more encouraging for you than to tell you that the risen and reigning Savior of the world is interceding for you right now. And it includes us. Jesus' heavenly reign, his present session includes us. You might want to look at Colossians 3, 1 to 4, that tells us to set our minds on things above. Why? Because that's where we are seated with God when you are in Christ. There are not two bigger words in all of the Bible than in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are where Christ is. Allow, allow your head to get wrapped around that when you fall asleep tonight 
and think that in Jesus, I am seated in the heavenly places. That's a fact. That's certainty. That's the third certainty. And here's the fourth. The fourth certainty is that Jesus is worthy of worship. John and I did not talk about what the topic was going to be today, and yet week after week after week, he just, he just hits it through the Spirit's work in his own life. I could not have asked for a better anthem to start knowing where I was going today. Jesus, 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 your name is like honey on my lips. Jesus, I love you. Tell Jesus you love him today. Just whisper that short prayer. Jesus, I love you. Help me to love you more. They worshipped him, Luke 24, 52 tells us, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Did you hear it? Did you hear the characteristics of a healthy Jesus-worshipping community? A healthy Jesus-worshipping community does it together. They, they worshipped him. When John leads us in song, he facilitates worship. When I hear you singing, you encourage me to be filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. This is why Bonhoeffer talked about the preciousness of gathering together, of life together. Jesus, we are his body, and Jesus sings the psalms through us so that we're encouraged when we hear one another sing, whether we're off-key, whether we're incapable of singing in tune. It's transformed in the halls of heaven in such a way that it sounds like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Healthy Jesus worshiping community gathers together. Your arm should not need to be twisted to assemble with the saints. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, so long as it is called today, let us not forsake the assembly. Those of you who are in live stream land, I know that there are prevailing issues for many of you that keep you at home, and I'm grateful for this technology that allows you to be part of, us, of this community. But I want to say this gently, but if you're in live stream land right now and you're there only because it's more convenient for you, let me gently exhort you that you need at your, at your best time, given everything around us, to be back together in the body of Christ. It's continual. It doesn't stop. You're going to go from here. You're going to continue to pray. You're going to continue to worship. I hope you continue to whisper the songs that John is teaching us today. They were continually doing this. It's not just Sunday, go to meet and sing a song. You worship in home and in your workplace and in your stop and shops. A healthy Jesus worshiping community worships corporately and continually and joyfully. There's no way you can worship Jesus and do it with, the, with your head in your hands. They did so joyfully. Some of us may come depressed. Some of us may come just beat down by this pandemic. You're looking at one. And then I see you and I hear you sing and my spirit is lifted. And I think, there's the joy, which would not have been mine if I had stayed home. They were gathered, they were gathered together continually and they were filled with great joy. 
joy, joy, joy. This past Friday, Nudo Baptist Church turned 116 years old. These are the words that God gave me right here. By God's grace, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, may it be said of us, should the Lord tarry, that we are inspired by and shaped by these four gospel certainties for at least another 116 years. That Newtop Baptist Church will certainly hold on to the fact that Jesus is fulfilling God's plan. That Newtop Baptist Church will hold this gospel certainty that Jesus is preached among the nations. That Newtop Baptist Church will hold this gospel certainty that Jesus is reigning from heaven. That Newtop Baptist Church will hold this gospel certainty that Jesus is worthy of worship. And I sat back in my chair in tears, thinking that I have had the privilege of being one in a long chain of individuals that have proclaimed the gospel. And I pray that should he tarry, that the next man in this pulpit and the one after him and the one after him holds to these four gospel certainties and does not waver from them one whit. Would you bow your heads together with me and hear the words of this prayer and song? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, for there is no shadow of turning with thee. You change not your compassions, they fail not, as you have been for 116 years, you forever will be. Prepare your hearts to sing these words. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All we have needed, your hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Say it again. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Lord, unto us.